0: Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and this is Terps in the City. Welcome to Terps in the City. It's where we talk about all things cannabis. And this particular season is about my journey as I'm moving back to New York. I'm I'm between New York and Florida, so I'm residing in two states in the upcoming year. And I am honored, uh, so honored to have as my guest today, None other than the legend himself, Steve Bloom. I don't know if you haven't, if you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard of Steve Bloom and Celeb Stoner, you really need to subscribe to Celeb Stoner so you can get the latest on news and entertainment with regards to cannabis. Steve, I consider him to be a dear friend, a role model as well. And he's always been very gracious every time we've crossed paths. So, Steve, welcome to Turfs in the City.
1: Thank you for having me, Cheryl.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you have been an activist for for quite a long time. And I, I want to hear a little bit more about kind of the earlier days of advocacy and, and being in the industry. In fact, I want to go a little bit further back and really talk about your relationship with New York, because you absolutely represent New York to the fullest. So I, I believe you live in the same area that you grow, grew up in, the same neighborhood that you grew up in. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. And your when do you get nostalgic and why is it so important to you and some of the changes you've seen in in, in the city over the years?
1: Yeah, that's a lot to say. Yeah, from New York, born and raised. My parents were New Yorkers. Uh, uh, My family goes back to Eastern Europe roots. A lot of the countries where things are happening over there right now is where a lot of me and a lot of other Jewish people's families are from Ukraine, Russia, Poland, Belarus, Romania, which is part of my family background. So I'm of the next generation after my father. Who's born here, and then after him, really the next only second generation of Romanian American, and the other part too. Like, there's there's three different parts of the European background, but by the way, it's not that far removed. And when you see what's happening now, I've looked at the maps and I realized how close everything was back then. And it looks where the cities are as close to each other, and all these areas where I knew about from where my family is from. I sort of have kind of looked into it now and studied a little bit more, and amazed to realize how how much it is really our old homes. A lot of the right, a lot of a lot of the Jewish people that came to the U.S. after World War II and after the Holocaust, who made it survived. They came from those areas, right. so, and as does my family. Though my family doesn't have a lot of Holocaust history, thank goodness. That- yeah. But, nevertheless, that's my background, New York born and raised. And uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of change in New York over the years. I've seen marijuana get legalized finally, which is number one, really, as far as I think might be concerned for this particular program. And, you know, what I've seen, um, because, you know, we lived through a decrim era in New York in the 70s, and it seemed pretty easygoing in terms of <clears throat> the uh, enforcement. So there was not a lot of pressure. And so the feeling was, it's, It was kinda cool to do and nobody really bothered. You could smoke a joint at a baseball game back in those days. You could sit there and pass back and forth and nobody cared, you know. It's like everything's so uptight these days in terms of all that where you can smoke and where you can't. But back in those days, the seventies, anything goes. And so New York was kind of cool back then. And then things changed in the eighties, nineties the reagan era and then in new york and became the giuliani and then the bloomberg years and it was like heavy enforcement around cannabis and stop and frisk craziness yeah um you know and the drug war really picking up to like a crazy peak in new york so new york became the marijuana risk capital of the world
2: exactly. I, that's,
1: where, that's where i lived matter of fact i got arrested I was one of the people who got arrested during that whole pogrom against us.
0: During during what era? During the Stop and Frisk era, Juliana era?
1: Just in the last year before De Blasio was coming in and Bloomberg was, was on his way out, like a year or two a year or so ago, I still I got caught up in a, an arrest around that time, so it was still pre-De Blasio, but only by about a year. It was twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, uh, and so yeah. So, yeah, so there was over 600, 700,000 arrests around those years. So I was definitely one of them. Know what it's, know what it's like to go through that. And it's not pleasant.
0: Yeah, and I, so I was going to ask you, when did you feel the safest? And when did you feel the least safe as a, a cannabis consumer in, in, in New York?
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't really like not feeling. I mean, it, you have to just realize that you couldn't just stop and smoke anywhere. Right. I think all people felt like New York was just free zone, and you you, know, you could just smoke pot anywhere. You just just pull out a joint and smoke. And I, I remember I was trying to tell my friend, after the, I heard so many people getting arrested for smoking outside somewhere, outside a restaurant, out here, or there. Cops just hitting people left and right for whatever reason. They just were just picking people off, and they were going at it. And so don't don't put yourself in that situation. So I wouldn't do it anymore with friends. No 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 no. no. So you have to draw your own lines too and realize when it's getting a little tight. That's I and mean, then that just depends on where you live in the city too. But that's just more like in the downtown area where you're going to clubs, where you're stepping outside for a little smoke break. And the next thing you know, you're getting arrested. <laughs> Craziness.
0: And and looking at as you say, New York being the center of cannabis, just talking variety over the years. Has it been easy to get variety? Of, of strains and, and plant chemistry, we say now, but ha- have you always had access to variety or do you feel like there are times when it was easier to get more variety? Uh, or and, and also, do you think the quality has improved over time or has the quality diminished over time?
1: Right, it really depends what kind of head you are as far as how deep you go into it. If you really look for it, you'll find the best stuff. We really have to settle for what's available. So we haven't been able to, yes, you go through your delivery service and they have this or that, and the other thing, and that's good. So, you know, they have some kind of mini selection. We're not gonna have a huge selection, but we'll a mini selection, so that'll help. But but that process keeps the prices kind of high, because you're buying in small amounts to try this, try that, gram here, right, right. a quarter there. And breaking it up like that keeps it keeps the prices kind of high. But that's what New Yorkers are basically used to. And they have their regular person that they've been going to for years. So that's going to change now, and um, and people who've been selling are going to feel the pinch of like the new businesses taking away from them. Right, as people go to the store because it's around the block, and they don't have to wait for the person to show up, or they don't have to right. come to the person. So they're going to catch on, and there's going to be a, a tug of pull in New York over black market or you know illicit market or legacy market as as there already is now with a lot of gray market going on. So. So there's going to continue to be that, but, but New York has to play it right and just find a way to get people involved and get people in, tra- in in the industry and not priced out to the point where the legacy market really stands side by side with the, the new, more corporate market. Right. And and they can have a, have a piece of, of that pie and share at the table and real legitimate, not just a little crumbs but real real like hey you're you're our you're our partners in this table of high-end companies with a lot of money and smaller companies just starting up and getting going and we're here to walk hand in hand and do this together that's the the dream, the ideal in New York right now. And I hope it happens. I hope New York can pull it off.
0: That That is the dream. And as, as you're aware, part of why I moved back to New York is to support the legacy industry through the Justice Foundation that was founded by Steve D'Angelo. And I'm the COO, he's the CEO. And, and that's our dream as well, is to kind of elevate the legacy community, give them their own voice or, or reinforce that they need their own voice, reinforce that they need their own space. And uh, almost like in a, a position of allyship, because, well, Steve is legacy as well, but an allyship with the, the New York market, making sure that everything that we can do based on experience and legalizing across the country that we, we bring that those bills to New York to, to benefit the legacy community. I know I think we never thought that we would see an opportunity where our our guy or our dealer whatever you want to call the person who would support patients all these years and and bring cannabis to people that they might have an opportunity to get a legal license. Do you think there's hesitation for them to come out of the shadows and, and embrace having a legal license or are there other deterrents from getting legacy involved?
1: I think it's different here in New York because we're really trying to handle it differently. And, and it's a new market. Let's start from scratch and kind of get it right. So if you have it together, you can pay some fees, you can follow the rules and the regs like everybody else, let the legacy market in the door. If they right. can't figure it out for some reason, we're not used to doing things this way, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It'll fill the people who can't make it. You know, but there'll be opportunities for people to get in the door and then you have to like do what anybody else would have to do to make a business work. Right. I, you know, it's not, it's not just sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring. You know, there's a lot of other things you might have to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's like there may be a knowledge. Ga- I think there's a knowledge gap on both sides. So like with a new industry, a lot they can learn from legacy and then with legacy operators. There's bridging the gap on knowledge as far as how to do it the legal way with all the tracking and, and things like things like that.
1: New York has a thriving gray market right now that's really kind of anti the, the spirit of legalization right now. It's because it's the regulations have not come in yet. And so there's a lot of people selling all over the place. And the question is, where is that coming from? And I contend that it's coming from the legacy already. People are just stepping out of the shadows that way. Instead yeah. of just doing the door or phone call and meet you at the corner and hit you there and in the car and blah blah and you are transferring the weed however you do it, now some people are just having the gumption I'm opening a store. Even if it's technically not legal. There's one in my neighborhood, it's a couple, it's a black couple. They they're legacy people. They also use it as a boutique and a kind of like a community kind of spirited place and yeah. it's kinda of cool to keep it quiet no big signs up front in the window but you go in there and there's like one little section there where you can buy some stuff and they are worried that they're going to be pushed to the side because they've stepped ahead doing it not quite the way the state wants you to do it so right. it's interesting what happened i did see tremaine Wright speak about this at the cwc and she said that it's they don't want to be the enforcers but there will be tax and finance kind of people going after these stores after a while, once the legal market comes in and people are paying prices to pay for their fees and in, in the regulated industry. And so these stores can't continue at the way they are. Right. But Will they be able maybe say, Hey, we just had this thing waiting around until it's okay. Can we now have a license? We <laughs> In a way the, it sounds like they're going to say no to them. Like you're punished for jumping right. the gun. And I, I wish they wouldn't. I wish they'd be, you know, at least look at each case case by case and not just say, oh, you started too soon. Go go to the back of the line. I hope they don't do that.
0: No, I, I agree. I, I think there needs to be a place. And there's a couple of things happening. There's actual legacy New Yorkers who may be jumping the gun a, l- a little bit because of the opportunity and also because they see the other part I was going to mention, which is people from out of state coming in and opening these shops and being very visible, maybe whether it's a mobile dispensary or a, a dispensary with, or I'm going to say illicit, but dispensary in a in a physical space. So there's some concern about, hey, will that real estate be available to native New Yorkers who have been here? So I think there's a little bit of that tension going on right now. I, I wanted to talk to you about you. You mentioned that you're, you're Jewish and your culture. Whether Did you feel stigma once you came out of the cannabis closet? You were very visible with your Celeb Stoner brand. And, and we, I want to talk about Celeb Stoner and how that came to be. But did you feel
1: stigma from your community it kind of makes me laugh to say that I came out of some sort of canvas closet, which I never did. Well, you I never were in pot, it. Smoking pot since I was fifteen. There was no closet. Right. It was all new. It was, it was all new to us back then. No, we figured it out ourselves. Right. I didn't get I didn't get passed on by my father, or even my brother, or my older brother. He smoked after me. I, I friends friends were smoking some stuff. Passed it on. I tried it. I liked it, and we liked it as high school kids, and just generally liked it through the rest of my life. Right. <laughs> you know, but it's, I, I kind of got it, got it an interest in it and kind of and it's sort of an early age. So there's no out of the closet. We're the stoners. We're in the family, we're the ones stepping outside, having a smoke and coming back and everybody looks at it and looks at you to see if your eyes are red, just in, and make a little joke, a, a little slight, you know, snide joke, but you know, and the, we get together, the stoners. So no, no, no closet for me. No. And, and as far as Jewishness, I mean, I never really thought that much about it though. There was a exhibit in New York now that discusses Jews and cannabis. And I'm oh, nice. mentioning that. I didn't. I don't really think that much about, although I think the of so the activism has come from people like Jack Herrer or myself or right. Ed Rosenthal, or Ethan Nadelman or people like that are indicative of, of a belief in civil rights, I think comes with being Jewish having having had some harsh stuff happen to us too and we were very active in the civil rights movement of the 60s and and so being active in this cannabis rights movement was not a surprise to me that there would be a lot of Jewish activity in that area but but was not something I mean I think maybe just having a liberal upbringing was acceptable for me to maybe try new things and I kind of came up in the kind of hippie era late 60s early 70s you know I was kind of Beatles baby and you know, so I was kind of groomed for all that fun stuff, you know, if I wanted to kind of join in with it. Everybody didn't, but I did.
0: Nice. (laughs) Excellent. No, I just wanted to kind of understand, I know, in our community, like in the black community, the Caribbean community, the black church community, we do face a lot of stigma. And it's just now we're starting to see some acceptance. And and that's why I use that, that language of cannabis closet, because a lot of us were very secretive about our, our cannabis use until we got we became activists and we're like no no more no longer i have to do my part and and we faced a, a bit of stigma so i just wanted to see if it was the same in um in jewish community so thank you for that clarification oh,
1: okay. and i mean i was yeah. i would be again you considered i hate to use the term the black sheep or whatever but you're considered yeah. maybe not in your family and you're right. there not something quite wrong with them, but they—they're different, right? Understood. Um, they're the potheads over there, but—but—but but, but if I dig a little bit deeper, and my dad was from Harlem, and so my my father's family was most of them were in Harlem until they spread around New York and stuff like that. My dad had a deep interest in music. He—I mean, they lived down the block from the Apollo. Um, he loved jazz. He turned me on to quite a bit of that. Set me down and played me that when I was younger. Nice. And so you got to hear this. And then me and my friends sort of discovered more modern jazz stuff in the 70s and stuff and really got into that. And hot smoking and jazz was really a cool combo. Absolutely. (laughs) My dad saying we should possibly smoke time, but but either way, it just seemed to be a, a good tie-in, and, and then all the rock stuff back then too. So we were listening to rock, and and then kind of getting into jazz, and it all kind of tied together. So I'm, I I've I been mean, I've looked into the history, and I love the whole history of you know jazz, uh, you know the, the, the sort of the reefer era in the '30s and '40s, and all the great artists doing the bebop song. I love Armstrong, the song,
0: Billie Holiday. The,
1: and, yeah, and more. It, it, it's amazing people don't even know. I mean, everybody did a great song. You know, even I mean, they all did their weed song. <laughs> nice. I think we
0: should have like have a listening session with weed songs. I think you may have highlighted weed songs on Celeb Stoner before, if I'm not mistaken. I think you That's may have been a my,
1: special. One of my specialties. One of my specialties. I keep track of them all.
0: Excellent. So let's talk about Celeb Stoner a little bit, and and how the concept came to to you, and 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 how the brand has evolved over time. So when did you start, when did you like coin the concept of the Celeb Stoner and make it
1: your own? Well, it was basically 2007 was the year I left high times and I started Celeb Stoner right around that time. So it was sort of a new thing then for like, what am I, what am I going to do next? And As I got to, I, I ended up writing a book with a friend of mine called pop culture after high times, but also something to do for more of a day to day. And, and so blogging was starting to be a thing and I sort of learned a little bit of that basics of blogging and then started my own website with the help of a cousin of mine who taught me a few things. And you just have to basically learn how to use a content management system online right. and uh, just familiarize yourself with that. But it was, I got in a little early, which was good. I learned a lot of stuff that and coding and stuff that probably people don't even know now because you don't have to know that pretty well at this point. So I've been doing that for a while. Since then, yeah, I mean, basically, it was outgrowth of my High Times work. At High Times, I primarily was like music editor and entertainment editor, senior editor, I elevated to co-editor. I had different editorial statuses there, but I came there with a background in music and culture, and and I added that really to the mix where High Times wasn't covering music that well, and there were all these bands that really were into the magazine, so we just started like interviewing all of them and. It kind of knocked on the door once we featured a few of them, and so it was just fun through the 90s just to just go to a lot of shows and meet a lot of bands and do a lot of interviews or sign out the interviews and have a lot of a lot of these cool groups. They were all some of the most popular groups of the 90s and 2000s and featured in the magazine. So that was like very fun to do backstage with a lot of these bands, smoking out with a lot of the cool people in the bands. They were like... It's like, where's the High Times guy? And I show up and they want to see if I have anything really like, oh, High Times worthy. <laughs> and the pressure was on. I had to carry something oh, yeah. very good with those shows. But so it was a good time. So, so basically, I had a background as a music journalist to begin with. So I'm used to dealing with celebrities. So i uh, interviewing, say, celebrities. Uh, musicians primarily yeah. and so out of that i could cover interview musicians or athletes or or actors or directors or whatever anything in entertainment more or less like i can interview a politician too but it's not really my forte it was more of that entertainment journalism so i really brought that to high times i thought i didn't cover that much but there wasn't anybody up there really doing much of that when i came there in the late 80s so i brought that to the table started covering more of that it was a good period for us <laughs> to dive into into the music scene which was really fertile in the 90s and almost all the bands were into weed from every different genre you can imagine this is like Willie Nelson to heavy metal to hip-hop to reggae to indie rock to I mean it was such a wide diversity of music throughout that era it was really fun so so that was where I kind of came out with the idea because I basically did a lot of cover stories with celebrities musicians We had Ice Cube or we had Snoop Dogg or Willie I mean sometimes we had such a bad call Ozzy Osbourne I mean well, it was yeah. just fun to do what a sometimes range I would, would just get a phone call from a poser saying Ozzy wants to do the cover kind of thing oh really you know okay <laughs> I didn't expect that one but those are fun phone calls those days when I get one like that once in a while but I was thinking today about this Beavis and Butthead movie that's just out and yeah. I was thinking back to we did a cover with beavis and butthead on the cover of high times back in 1994 i had to look it up online yeah and i saw it was and it's like with beavis holding it like smoking a joint right and i was as one of the others high times i got this book this beavis and butthead book and it had this illustration exactly that illustration so i contacted the book company i said can we use this for high times on the cover they said yes we got an approval That's and amazing. it's like next thing you know. You know, so it's funny how sometimes something went out on the cover high times, and that was like one of the easiest times it would have been to do a cover because you didn't have to do anything with any shoots, or you just got the rights, and just boom, it was like agreed without any hassle, and it did pretty well. But so, yes, yeah, so I would do stuff like that where we do mostly celebrity covers and celebrity stuff, shoots, and stuff, and I just got familiarized with that, so I kind of came up with the idea of Celeb Stoner, uh, and I learned you know the blogging, you know, world, you know, I have to kind of figure that out and start my own site. And there wasn't that much competition at the time. There weren't too many sites doing coverage full time on cannabis. Right. Uh, so but uh, still my focus is sort of news of you know, cannabis news, but also cultural. And the cultural would be honestly it really started with a lot of the arrests that were happening back then. Willie Nelson getting busted a lot. Okay. Snoop Dogg getting busted a lot. Repetitive arrests kind of stories and so it almost started like as like a crime blotter, TMZ for weed, and and then it's gradually the arrest numbers have gone down. But boy, they were pretty high back then. 50, 60 or more celebrity arrests a year. Now they're down to less than 10 a year. Okay. And still too much. But still That's it has still- gone down. Yeah, it has gone down significantly. So now I look at the site as like it's gone from the beginning, which was really covering the busts and the crime side of it, to now these Companies, these celebrities now having their own businesses, and it's about their brands. So it's from Bust to Brands.
2: I so love bust,
0: bust to Brands. I like that. Do you have uh, archives of all the high times that you've edited, or have you ha- kept hold on to them, or have you just held on to your favorites?
1: Yeah, I'm I mean, going to have everything kind of in a filed away. Um, sadly, I moved a few years ago and I had to kind of like condense my collection to fit it. And I really want to take everything. So I did kind of. You know, sort of edited down a little bit, didn't take everything uh, or every issue. I trimmed the issue down, took the cover, and took these pages, and just made sure I had everything. But back in the day when I was working up at High Times, I was really one of the keepers of the like a full collection. And wow. it was great to have a book full- of for the office. We had like these file cabinets on top of the file cabinets on a long hallway where these binders with every issue going back to the beginning maybe they weren't maybe there was a couple of the first two weren't there because those are some collectors but other than that almost every issue was there and then we kind of like i had i had been there so long that i just became very attached to that because you'd always go to there and find something and right. looking back and to check back on some history that was related to something at high times or whatever go back to so-and-so issue this or that we didn't have a great index but it was there but i couldn't keep all the issues but i kept the ones that i edited the ones that I did covers with, the ones I have a, I have a nice collection of celebrity covers with signatures on them. I mm-hmm. bring them to people. Post, you know, I still do that even to this day. I might you know, ask somebody who I didn't never got a. a, a I, I ran I saw Fishbone a few years ago at a show, one of their shows, and I had an issue with their on the cover High Times. One of their Angela Moore, their sax player, singer. Uh, that was a that was a wonderful cover. That was like a dream cover for me. It didn't necessarily sell the best because. Fishbone's not the most famous band, although right. they're super cool. But Angelo Moore was dressed in a hemp zoot suit, oh, would wow. you believe? And and he had his saxophone, and we got a bud that filled into the bell of the saxophone and curved out like this. And there he is, like, with his bud saxophone, and me being a jazz guy, and saxophone, and the, this hemp zoot suit, and Angelo Moore. Oh, my God, what Gosh, a cool! It's right. iconic.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we you still have that? Action.
1: You got it signed, and you kept it. I have, that. I have all the guys in the band signed that. Oh, I okay. went to the cab. I got friendly. The thing was, that I, I became fairly friendly with a lot of these people in the bands and kept in touch with them over the years, post high times. I just, just go to the shows and keep up with people. I'm friendly with Be Real. It's part of the reason why I'm in the showtime Documentary that's on right now, the Insane in the Membrane documentary on Showtime, which features me being interviewed as the High Times guy from back then. They wanted a perspective because High Times was important to them, and it kind of connects them to the early days and them being really active in the movement and wanting to be part of it and actually doing something nobody else had done as a band. They kind of stepped out a little bit more, like they really thought about it a little bit more than most, not just doing a song we really want to be a part of this legalization movement what can right. we do to help beautiful and, and they're really serious about it
0: and so so you're currently on showtime in a docu- documentary called insane in the memory Just i, have, I didn't even know that so i'm definitely to gonna that. check it out
1: <laughs> i have to say that because you know i know it sounds like i'm bragging but i don't get a chance to brag too often about being on a documentary no i think show. it's great
0: let's separate music and cannabis. So what are your favorite music, like artifacts that you have collected that are important to you? And then what are your favorite cannabis artifacts that you've
1: collected that are important to you? Oh my, that's funny. I mean, I don't know what's, I mean, I have a huge collection of albums. So every, every album is a piece of of value to me. I'm like an album collector to begin with. Vinyl, Uh, straight vinyl. Straight vinyl. I mean, I have a lot of CDs and I have some, you know, I have some tapes and stuff and, like but mostly vinyl is where the value is it's so artistic you know each cover is you know such kind of, such a gem uh and you know obviously you know you're picky and you want everything to look just right so you want it to know it's not messed up and you open up and you look at the vinyl and you make sure it's not scratched and and then maybe you got something you might consider paying for so it's it's a very efficient out kind of thing i've been doing it for years yeah. you just Got the fingers going through the albums and pick them out and find stuff. And I like to, you know, if I see anybody selling, I like to go over there. I'll buy a few because I want to support them. Right. Uh, I'll just add a few more to my collection, whatever. I, I'm missing things here and there. I don't have everything. So I, I have about 5,000 on my wall and I have about another, I don't know, I have another several thousand Some at friend's basement. I, I just have sort of spread around. Mm-hmm. So of that, those are everything. And then my collector's things of like, in my youth, of, of scorecards of things like, like a, more like a, a, the rock, <laughs> the program for an event that I worked at in Central Park.
0: Okay.
2: In
1: 1970, there was a festival, and for years there was a festival, the Schaefer Music Festival in Central Park. And it's a great lineup of musicians, all, everything from the current rock to jazz, soul, R&B, Latin, pop. It was just crazy. It was just great. And uh, I worked there that summer in the concession. And that's uh, a couple of those things from back then are really my collector's items because I have the program. I have little notes on the program, which has a note for like every concert. And it's like sort of my original reviews before I became the reviewer guy that I became later on in my career. But I was taking little notes like when I was 16 and saying so-and-so is good so-and-so or I might have just said rained or or crowd wasn't into it or I even might have said sucked or it might have just something but I had a little note next to each one so that's real collectors item. and my program to the Fillmore East that's a collector's item for Santana mm-hmm. that means a lot to me saw them in 1970 there I was lucky I got to see a lot of great music back then I like to tell people I saw Jimmy I saw Janice I saw <laughs> Dwayne Allman I, I caught all these people before they died. Sadly, they died one after the other around those years. I did not see Jim Morrison. Never saw the Beatles back then. Didn't see the Stones in those early days. Saw them a little bit later. Didn't see Zeppelin back then. But I mean, I just caught most of the bands back then. I kind of—I right. was a Woodstock. Movie. I didn't go to Woodstock, but I—Woodstock was a wake-up call. And then I listened. Went to the movie. Loved the bands. Listened to the album. Wanted to hear all those bands: Sly and the Who, and all those groups mm. and. and See all of them as much as I could. Awesome. So I, mean, I went to see Light Madison Square Garden in 1971 with my girlfriend. Or it was just fun stuff. On memories of like seeing all those great bands back then. But then I shifted gears after a great run of like digging all this amazing rock music. I got into R and B and soul and jazz in the 70s because that was where it was at. In my book, that's things, I mean, rock was still going on, cool, but, man, that whole period of 72 to 75 pre-disco was amazing, and soul yeah, and R&B. It sure one was. Of major, one of the greatest periods ever. I know I don't have to tell you, but, but and then it went into disco, and disco was pretty cool, too. Gobbled up some of that stuff, and but some of it did pretty well. I say cool in the gang. But, <laughs> nice. you know, I, like, uh, I always loved cool in the gang. That's where I got my start in writing about music, because I had an interest in music. Like to play, learned when I was a kid, trumpet and stuff in the school band, but I didn't really hear trumpet as much as I was feeling saxophones. My dad brought home a saxophone one day and he said, Here, play this. And I taught myself saxophone. I brought it with me out to San yeah. Francisco, where I lived for a year. And it was a lot of people were playing saxophones out their windows around that year when I was there. So I figured I was part of a community. I just played a little bit, learned a little bit, but, but didn't really feel I could go the whole distance playing like. Jazz, or being a sax player, or something, but it was just fun to learn. Sax is an awesome and, instrument. And getting knowledge of like really what jazz is about, which is much more complicated music than rock or pop or R and B. Right chord changes much more complicated. I mean, jazz and all that is a, was, everything else was easy compared to jazz.
0: How many times have you seen the Grateful Dead? Well, a lot.
1: I mean, and I saw them when I was younger. One of my earliest shows in nineteen seventy up here in the Bronx. They played of all places, and, and that's a famous show. That's a one off show. They never played this place anytime before or after up in my neighborhood. I walked to the show. That was great. I had probably seen them 50 or more times. 50, 50
0: 54 times?
1: 50 or more times, I'd say. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the kind of group that you kind of see over and over again. That's the whole excitement of the band. It's like, you don't see that if you get on a tour, you might, you might go see them two or three days in a row or you, you just want Cause they're never going to play the same set. So you're going to see a different set yeah. every night or every night. Who knows? They might have a guest on one night that they didn't have the night before. Or they might have an opening act they didn't have, or I don't know. It's worth it. I mean, I know, I know it's sort of a, they, they're still torn around. It's the dead and company. And I do go see yep. them. I like to kind of check in once a year to the dead scene and just see how it's going. And so I will go, uh, and an interesting it's another side thing that I do part of my music journalism history is that I do write for Variety and I'm kind okay. of the Grateful Dead guy and so I go every year they provide for me via thanks to Variety through Grateful Dead publicists you know they provide tickets for me as the Variety person covering the show if there's anything worth covering you should write about it and sometimes there is sometimes there isn't so sometimes I cover something and at the last show sadly last year somebody died at the show and yeah. fell off a balcony Oh, man. a, a tear. I have to write about that. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but yeah. but you never know what's going to happen at a show. So but I'm kind of like their person there, and they're very nice. They just gratis me tickets, and if I have something to cover, I'll cover, but I'm not there specifically reviewing the show. But I go once a year for sure, and they have them at City Field in New York, so I'm going to most likely, it'll be going in July because they're coming through New York for a couple of shows at City Field.
0: I might be there. I've never seen The Grateful Dead, so I'd, I'd like yeah. to experience
1: that. Yeah, you should check it out, I and mean, it's definitely worth doing. It's a fun scene. Okay. Fish is another thing that I like. The band Fish—they yeah. they're you'll see a lot. Another band I like currently is Tedeschi Trucks Band, it's kind of an R and B rock band with uh susan deski is the lead singer so those are those are kind of bands i we go see kind of regularly over and over again because right. you know, every show is every show is a different show and so so they but i mean i like i like a lot of other stuff i'm just not going as so much music these days post covid I just i'm a little bit older in terms of having seen a lot of shows right i could i could talk about going to see shows in 1970 and spending a whole summer going to a show every night practically or Every other night, and two sets a night, those bands would play. I would see two shows and a, a, a sound check because mm. I was working there. I'm not, I and mean, it's amazing. Back in those days, the Fillmore East was two shows a night. The Brothers played at eight o'clock and eleven thirty. <laughs> mm. They did. So you you go to the early or the late show. So as it turns out, I go to the late show and see the Allman Brothers at the end, when they're closing up that building. at The weekend they're closing up the Fillmore East, and I go to the late show on the Friday night with my brother and some friends. That show didn't end until 7 in the morning.
0: Crazy. Well, I mean, that's how it used to be. Did you ever go to Studio 54?
1: Yeah, I went there. but I, I like disco and stuff, but I wasn't into that kind of scene over there. Okay. That wasn't my thing.
0: So, so celeb—not celeb stoners, but a stoner culture. Sorry, stoner culture. Is stoner culture going away, or how has stoner culture evolved in your from your perspective?
1: Well, stoners are people who smoke pot, basically. So that's really the main thing. It's not other drugs. It's just you kind of—you have kind of an affection for weed, and you just you have all the accoutrements. You have all the bongs and pipes and papers right. and all the things. You have a nice collection of stuff. Maybe you have some pictures on the wall, whatever. You just think it's cool. You like the buds. You're a fan of all the, all the different strains. So, I mean, that's kind of what makes a stoner. You just you're know, a little more into it than, than the average person. So, therefore, you're a stoner. That's not a bad thing. So, but, but it gets a negative. Obviously, it's in the title of my website, Slub so Stoner, right here. So I'm, I guess, proud to be a stoner. I don't know. I suppose I am, but I don't think I have to say that. But I, but if it needs to be said, I'll say it. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, it's kind of stoner culture is what it is. And it may fade a little bit with legalization that all part of stoner culture was being kind of outlawish and, being against the government and the way they're kind of treating us in terms of, you know, not letting us smoke our weed and throwing us in jail for it and busting up our grows and doing all these terrible things to us and taking our kids away. And so, so feeling like kind of pissed off. Yeah. So it's a a movement of defiance. Relief from your, from, from this wonderful weed that kind of gives you relief. But now you, you know, you go fight another day to try and like convince, you know, people to not treat, you know, so negatively. So so the stoner is the activist in a lot of cases. Somebody gets kind of irate about stuff and really wants to hit the streets and have a sign out there and be out there and parade and they're a little more hardcore believers, true believers. That's okay, too. So it's just, it's a, it's a unique group of people. But I mean, will they fade away? Maybe. Maybe like marijuana, the word will fade away. People use it less because it's an older term. I mean, grass was a term in the 60s. People don't use it anymore. So terms come and go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think marijuana will stick around a little longer because it's, you know, kind of a definitive term. And it's and tied to a, legislation a, everywhere. Not a, not a slang term. Like I say grass or dope or something would be a slang, whereas right. marijuana is a, it's sort of in the dictionary term, you know, for a leafy plant that gets you high, blah, 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 or whatever, however they describe it in the dictionary aka cannabis or vice versa cannabis would be also maybe say also known as marijuana those are kind of like now interchangeable in my opinion and people choose not to use marijuana for their particular reasons i understand that i respect that i i try to sort of be a little more liberal about it and that it's i want to use it when i feel it's appropriate maybe in an older usage or a good alliterative usage it's still hard for me, not to say medical marijuana has such a great ring. I
0: agree. And you most states I mean? do. Most states do. So the Northeast states are some of the modern legalization, it's their REIT changing the terminology and, and to cannabis, which I respect that as well. But marijuana is still being used in, in legislation, especially on the medical side. I, I usually with my guests, I always uh, close out with two questions. The first one is what can I do or what can the listeners to our, our show do to support you and support your movement and your initiatives and your efforts?
1: Well my initiatives are your initiatives are our initiatives yeah. that keep uh, keep uh, keep the ball rolling and get legalization in every state and figure out how to get it done on the federal level so it's fair for everybody. um I'm not crazy about Nancy Mace's proposal because it doesn't guarantee that every state has to legalize it. they could opt out that's not right okay you know so that has to change so you can't you know make those kind of compromises so stick to your guns uh, and do its. Right. And uh, and also, I would basically advise people to work hard on a state level because states where most of the action is right now, and the states have been pushing ahead. The federal is kind of lagging behind and that may lag behind for a while yet, unless there's some big compromise that's kind of reached on the federal side. So keep pushing on the states levels. We read, we saw Rhode Island passed this year. Yeah. Delaware, Delaware came close. There's a bunch of states that are on the docket for the ballot initiatives come November. That's usually a good time to pass some more legalization at the on the the even elections, not the off elections, but the even elections where you have a lot a lot of action. So obviously midterms, and then if so, like twenty twenty four, there'll be you know, others. I mean, you're going to run out of states to have on the ballots, but but you can hit as many as you can, and there's still Absolutely. a bunch more to go. So uh, so uh, and on my end, I am. There's no subscription to Slap Stoner. anybody can go to the website or. Go to, <clears throat> go to Facebook and read different things that, that are either posts or updates on things that are going on in the cannabis world. But we, we do have our group at Patreon. It's a, it's a big group. I do a couple of really cool new, newsletters a week, give out some good swag for uh, you know new people who join up. And we our group is getting better and better. And uh, I tip you off the things that are happening uh, out there, but with more of the perspective coming from the substoner. Uh, news and whatever we're breaking to and then comment on that and just you know keeping people aware of certain things and it's it's a good reminder that with the having the uh, access to the newsletter because you'll you'll get some updates that you wouldn't expect so
0: so lead the cannabis parade every year it just happened i believe it was may that we just closed that out so we're looking forward to next year supporting i'll be a new yorker again so i'll be there for for the parade this year next year so i'm excited about that do you have your dates already
1: well, it's an, an NYC Cannabis Creative Rally, May 6th. So uh, it's the first Saturday of, of of the month. So we're ticking back down. Last year it was the first, and this year it was the seventh. So we're ticking back down. Yeah. Next year will be the sixth. Right. We, uh, we had a really wonderful program for this year. Unfortunately, we had rain that derailed a lot of it, um, we had constant rain all day. And so we couldn't go ahead with our musical program, which included the Blues Brothers and Red Man, although well, Red Man did speak. And Schumer and and Jerry Nadler spoke. Politicians, I've learned, it can rain; they'll show up. Just give them an umbrella. You can't do that with the (laughs) bands, right? Definitely.
0: And it's not it's not too late for people to sponsor the the parade. So get in early because
1: we have a year to go for that. So, uh, but we um, you know come Januarys when we start kind of pushing towards uh, planning for this next year's event uh, and you know funding it uh through sponsorships and you know, we made some progress this year even if we didn't have the event way we wanted it because we had to work with uh, the parks department on kind of getting them to agree to allow us to have a certain number of groups with tents there which they never allowed us to have before they actually agreed to 12 which was more than we ever had in the past they're kind of difficult with us during because of the language of our permit and so we pushed hard to get what we wanted and we got it. But, and then we even were allotted to do a giveaway, a cannabis giveaway. The parks were allowing that as well as mm-hmm. joints that we gave away mostly on that day anyway. But it wasn't quite as in the orderly fashion we had planned it. But you go to the booth and you kind of like, here, you get one. You no, know, we just walked around with it because it was in the rain. was like, here, take one, here, take one, here, take one, take one. You know, it's like, get, right. get rid of them. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great tradition. I mean, that was new. The giveaway weed at the event approved by New York City Parks Department, that was brand new. That's a first. That's, that's your That's
0: scoop. amazing. <laughs> that's progress. And that's because of your activism and the, the hard work that you've done all these years, really honoring the plant and, and legitimizing the plant and, and supporting people who need it for meditational, medical, spiritual purposes. So thank you for that work. My last question is, if there was someone that... We could introduce you to, or that if you can meet anyone in the world, who would that person be? Or oh, maybe they're listening or what? someone one degree from them is listening. Who would be that person that you'd like to meet?
1: Oh, um, Stevie Wonder.
0: Okay, that's a good choice. He, I heard he's not uh, inaccessible. He calls artists all the time. <laughs> People
1: I've never interviewed. I he had his birthday recently and I, I looked up his stance on cannabis and it was something he's not into. He did it once, didn't like it, and said he didn't do it again kind of thing. This like yeah. forever ago, right? But not for that reason. Just just because if you're gonna throw it out to me, something like that, somebody who like I've never interviewed really and I I I yeah. I love and respect. If it was that kind of thing, um what I want to meet. I'd like to meet that mushroom guy, Paul Stamets. He's in the news a lot these days. He's like the new the mushroom guru. I think he'd be a cool guy to meet.
0: I think I think uh, we might be able to make it happen. I'm gonna find out from the Canadelic folks if he's a if he's coming through, because that's possible. So let let's see if we can make it happen. That seems pretty reasonable.
1: He's right up there lying. He he they get him there. They they'll have a line out the door. They'll have a line out the door. All right, let me. I'm going to yeah. talk to them, Colleen. They know they, shout they, out mean, so they, they know about Paul Stamets, but uh, yeah, he'd be—he's uh, like the number one guy in that field right now. Well, let's see
0: if we can make it happen. I'm sure somebody listening may have that connect. So I just want to say thank you so much, Steve, for everything. Thank you for always being so welcoming. Every time I see you, you welcome me into the industry, and I, I pay attention to all of your posts. So I stay up to date on what's going on in cannabis. Besides all my Google alerts, I got to check in with Celeb Stoner to make sure that I'm in touch with what's going on right now in the cannabis world. And I can't say it enough how much respect I have for you and, and your history and your willingness to share. So it is an honor to call you friend and it's an honor to have you on Terps in the City. So thank
1: you so much. I am so proud to be part of this show. Thank you so much, Cheryl.
0: Blessings upon blessings. And how can people get in touch with you if 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 they want to learn more or or connect with you and support you?
1: People can find me on Messenger. Not that I'm not that reclusive in that way, but where else? Twitter, Facebook, Messenger. I'm kind of all over social media. Is the best way, you know, basically, awesome. and, and and through the Patreon group.
0: And through Patreon. So go on Patreon, look for Celeb Stoner. Thank you all for your time for listening in. This was definitely a treat. This is one that you want to listen to over and over again to get the nuggets that Steve has shared today. And this isn't the last time I'm going to have Steve on. I'm going to have him on again if you he, if he'll allow me to, because I can't we didn't fit everything into this one episode. So thank you for tuning in to Terps in the City. If you'd like to sponsor the show. You can go ahead and email me. The information will be in the notes for the show. If you want to be a guest on the show and you you have something to share with regards to your love for cannabis and, and advocacy, definitely want to hear some new voices out there as well. So thank you for listening and thanks for tuning in to Terps in the City.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show.
3: Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.